The Old Testament reading tells us the necessity of Advent and Christmas is the account of the fall of mankind into sin and death and judgment. The reading from Genesis chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle reading is from John's first letter. 1 John chapter 4, beginning the first verse. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. 
But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Here ends the epistle. The gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter beginning the 26th verse. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Here ends the Holy Gospel. I wonder if we're going to talk about presents. It's Advent time. Do you see any presents up there? I'm probably getting you all excited about the wrong thing. The main thing about Christmas and Advent has to do with one present. What's that single present that you should be concerned about? What do you rejoice about? God, the Son of God. And he, how, he, how does he come to us? In Christmas, okay. As a cup of pure water, okay? Not from Flint. Doesn't come out of the Grand River. It's pure. Boy, I wonder if I can... Whoa. That stands for God. What happens in the gospel reading is really, in a sense, Christmas. But nobody knows it for nine months. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, and Mary by faith agreed that she would give birth to this child named Jesus, that's when Christmas first took place. Now, this is nothing more than food coloring. If the water stands for God, the food coloring 
stands for mankind. Uh, what color is this? Red. There's a particular color that will show up with Jesus when he goes to the cross. Red. It's blood. Yeah. That can only happen if Jesus is truly a human being. God has no blood to shed. But Jesus as a true human being does. So the moment Mary agreed with the angel that she would be the one to give birth to the Savior, you suddenly have How's that? Is that red enough? Look on the cross up front here. Isn't that kind of an odd color for Christmas? Yeah. But it tells us the reason Christmas happens. The moment Mary agreed by faith to be the mother of the Savior, Jesus, you have this unique person who's truly God and truly a human being. Jesus is God and man. So, once I've done this, could I separate the red out of the clear anymore? I don't mean with a water filter. Can you separate that anymore? Where any of this is, you've got red and you've got the clear of the pure water, both at the same time. That's really the celebration of Christmas. But this Sunday, we recognize the Son of God came into this world, took on our human flesh and blood, when the angel came to Mary. That's really the beginning of Christmas for us. And the red reminds us of what will happen at the cross. That God and man named Jesus will shed what? His blood. Because you can't take Good Friday away from Christmas. The two are bound together. Jesus comes in the flesh to suffer and die for our sins and to wash them all away. And it begins this Sunday, remembering the angel's message. So you be like Mary and believe God's promises to you. That's the key to Advent. And that is the great present. Okay, you can go back. Anybody thirsty? Maybe the acolyte's thirsty. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. My text is from the epistle, which maybe, as you heard it this morning, you might have said to yourself, well, that's not very Christmassy. You've been duped. In this country, there are so many things that have absolutely nothing to do with what I just told the kids. Did, did all the parents take their children to some sort of Christmas parade this year? 
Did, did you all do that? Okay. For those of you that didn't, did any of your kids complain? Well, don't answer that. What if I, as your dear pastor, would say, we've got to get rid of that Christmas tree? What reaction would there be? Somebody might call a special voters' assembly to get rid of me if I can get rid of the Christmas tree. All the many things that seem to be associated with Christmas, from what you eat, where you go, the decorations, the presents. Some people think that Black Friday is somehow part of Christmas. And what's uh, this Monday called? Something or other Monday. What? Cyber? Cyber Monday. That doesn't sound Christmassy either. But if you start taking these things away, people get really angry. In jolly old England, when the Reformation hit, there were some people there who were very, very, very religious, and they didn't want any fa-la-la-la-las at all, because a lot of English celebration of Christmas had to do with parties, too much drinking, overeating, presents, yule logs, greenery, dancing. And a group called the Puritans said, well, let's examine all this stuff and see whether any of it has anything to do with Christmas. Does this have anything to do with Christmas? Oh, good, you're all saying no, because it doesn't. This little thing is a carryover from North German or Norse notions of trolls and other assorted, not friendly, but dangerous people that lived in the woods or under trees. And yet somehow in England this becomes associated with elves. Do any of you wear this kind of regalia for Christmas for the fun of it? How many of you dress up as Santa Claus? Any of you ever done that? Jim, I'll bet you have. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many other ones. Yeah. Ike, you could look that way because you've got a beard and wearing red already. Now, the Puritans looked at every little custom, every little activity, every little song, everything that the English loved so well, and they got rid of it. No Christmas tree, no holly. No feast, no drunkenness. No drinking, no yule log. No holly, let alone the ivy. No fa-la-la-la-la songs. No secular presents. They got rid of all of it. And in a spiritual sense, I must admit, I agree. If your love of the season has to do with this kind of stuff, and somehow the real meaning of Christmas gets pushed aside, if some of you thought to yourself, well, that little example with the kids was just kind of dumb, and I didn't get excited about it, something is deeply wrong internally. If your heart yearns for white Christmases, 
and the Snoopy special with all that singing about Christmas time is here. If that's really what's warming the cockles of your heart, I'm telling you, you as your shepherd, you're probably in a lot of trouble. Because that kind of love is idolatrous. It has nothing to do with Christ's child. Now, I'm not saying that these things in and of themselves are evil, but when they start pushing Christ aside, then it is evil. If you're more interested in hearing the silly Christmas songs on the FM stations, more than paying attention to good, solid Christian Advent Christmas hymns in the hymnal, then something's wrong. Well, what's Christmas all about anyway? This epistle is telling us what the main thing is supposed to be during this Advent season. Now, he addresses the people in the first century A.D., and something was already wrong. He says, beloved ones, that is, those who know God's agape, that know the gospel. He says, stop believing every spirit. Apparently, they were so full of cheer about the season that they were just accepting of everything. You know, don't talk religion as well as not politics. Don't stand up for anything that's true or false. Make the season bright just by being agreeable. Agree to everything. That's not a good Christian witness. You should be able to tell people very honestly and lovingly that Christmas is about Jesus the Son of God born in the flesh. Rather than just believing everything that comes along, he says, keep testing out the spirits. And the word means once you've tested it and it's found false, you throw it away. You throw it away. You don't just keep it along with the things that are true and think you can have a compromise. To test and reject the things that are false to see if they've come from God. He says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Everything in this Advent season that fails to point to the incarnation of the only Savior of the world is something that's being taught and sold and practiced which is false. It's not just neutral. Please understand that. If it doesn't directly tie in with Christ, or if you can't find some Christian meaning to it, it's time to get rid of it. Thankfully, I won't really get rid of our Christmas tree because it's loaded with chrismons, these ancient symbols that have everything to do with Christ and the gospel and the Christian faith. Now, John says... I can tell you how to do this thing. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit, he says, that continues to be confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not continue to confess this Jesus is not from God, but is in fact the Spirit of the Antichrist. Wow. Continues to confess. 
He's talking about a continuous confession in everything that we do and say. It's not just getting the answer right when the pastor asks you what Christmas is about. Is there a complete integration of your Christian faith into all that you do and say and celebrate? There shouldn't be any part of your life that goes against this. So, I'm going to give you my further test. For everything that you think is okay to do in this Advent season, think to yourself, would that person who's hearing or watching me in what I do and say, what would they think is the most important thing? Now that's a real test. If someone says, oh, your house looks great, you got all the great decorations up, and you smile and go, thank you. And that's all you talk about. You failed. If you have a great Christmas party and you get all the cookies and cakes and maybe some stuff you're not supposed to eat, and someone at the end of the party goes, that was great, and you smile and say to yourself, thank you, but say nothing about the purpose of the season, you have failed. This is the season to confess. That means to publicly make this statement. In fact, the Greek word means to do it openly, publicly, unashamedly about what the season is all about. In some Christian homes, they have on their Christmas tree various, not necessarily chrismons, but other things that can start a conversation about the season. As long as Linda and I have been married, we have always had on our Christmas tree, first of all, a snake. Some have got kind of beaten up over the years. The current one's not too bad off. The kids always notice it, and they ask, what's a snake on the tree for? And you can tell them the Old Testament reading where sin comes from. But notice at the end of that story, there's the promise. The woman's seed will come and not bruise, but smash Satan's head in, though he will strike like a cobra the child's heel. Notice the child will die from that sting, but he will still do Satan in. We always have a snake, and in close proximity to the snake, we always have some sort of cross by the snake. Now, there's other things that sometimes you can put up. You can buy nails. How about that? Hang nails on your tree, which points to the cross. If you have a star at the top, you can point to the events of the wise men or an angel for the angel Gabriel. You can wear certain things around Christmas time too as a witness. And that's what John wants us to be doing. First testing what is really Christmassy and then are you doing it? Are you joyfully confessing your faith in Jesus who is true God and true man? He says, and every spirit that does not continue to confess this Jesus has not come from God, but this is the spirit of the Antichrist, the opposite Christ, or the enemy Christ. There are people that say, oh, I believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
not merely a different Christ, but an anti-enemy Christ. If they don't know who this Jesus is, it does them no good to say that they believe that there was a guy named Jesus born in Nazareth. Even that statement of historical faith is really nothing. The Antichrist is everything contrary to Jesus. The Antichrist does talk about spiritual things and religion, but it always has to do with pagan notions of. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said what? What a good boy am I. That's paganism. He thinks he's good because he was lucky enough to get a plum with his thumb. That's why he claims to be good. Any claim at goodness that pushes aside Jesus and the atonement of the cross is bogus and does no one any good. You need the cross in order to understand the forgiveness of sins at the cost of the Son of God's very blood. But this is the Antichrist. Now, on the positive note, John said to his hearers, and he says to us, but as for you, you are from God, dear children, and you have been victorious over those guys because he who is within you is greater than he who is merely in the world. Christ comes in the flesh. He comes to you in the flesh not just merely spiritually through the Word, but in that supper you're receiving Christ in the flesh, the very body that was given on the cross and the blood that was shed. That is the true Christ that is in you, whom you confess. This is what gives us that confidence and assurance of the forgiveness of sins. Now he says all the others are merely of the world. Now, as for the things you're going to hear, John says, therefore, those guys speak of matters that come from the world. The world loves a worldly Christmas. Don't get sucked in. And the world continues to be listening to them. However, as for us, he says, we are from God. It's another way of saying we are God's children. He who knows God continues to listen to us. So my friends in Christ, during this Advent season where you're going to be hearing so many things, listen to God's Word, especially all the texts and stories and events around Christmas. And as I told the children, this is really the beginning of Christmas. For with the Annunciation to Mary, there began that union of God and man in the flesh, the Savior who has come for us all by his grace. Amen.